Welcome to the Lehigh at NASDAQ Center podcast. In this series, Women in Technology and Innovation, we are shining a spotlight on the remarkable female entrepreneurs, business leaders, and engineers who are changing the world through industry and innovation. I'm your host, Samantha Wallravens. Today, I'm delighted to connect with Christine Kwan, a data scientist and engineer at Dropbox, Emma Catlin, an engineer at Pinterest, and Kira Goves, a technical program manager at Amazon Web Services, to talk about what it takes to break into the tech industry. So welcome to the three of you. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. I'd like to start out by asking each of you individually to tell us a bit about the beginning of your careers, like where you started off after college and then how you came to work at your current companies. So maybe Emma, would you like to start? So I started off, my first job after graduating was a software engineering role at Pinterest. And I'm still currently in that role today. So it's been two and a half years since I joined. And prior to that, I had interned as well at three different tech companies, change.org, Pure Storage, and Pinterest. So you've been at the same company then for the past few years. Yes. Okay. We'll explore that a little bit and why you stuck around. Christine, do you want to tell us about your early career and where, how you got to uh, Dropbox? So I've only been at Dropbox for about a year. So before that, I was at my first job at a smaller company called Periscope Data. It's since been acquired and now it's called SciSense. Um, what I was really looking for out of college was more of like a mid-sized startup, just because I felt like it gave me like the most opportunity to sort of grow and learn. And that was like what I was really looking for when I first applied and then like um, went to Periscope. And then after a few years, I just was looking for new challenges because I kind of felt my learning plateau a little. And I was looking to learn about how slightly larger companies did things at scale and just kind of like get more exposure to like managing cross-functional projects. And then that's what Dropbox has really offered me. Great. And Kira, how did you wind up at Amazon Web Services? Yeah, I've been here for two and a half years. So since I graduated too, and I started in a different role though, actually as a solution architect. Uh, when I was in school, I had no idea what, what a solution architect was. I'd definitely never heard of it before. When I was studying, I was in the ideas program at Lehigh where I did computer science and knew I wanted to be in tech, but didn't know if I wanted a traditional software development engineering role. So when I found the solution architect role, which is uh, designing technical cloud solutions for customers, I got really jazzed up about it. I uh, thought it'd be a really good way to learn about industry and also think about tech from the sort of why perspective and the big picture view. So I did that role for about a year and a half. And then about eight or nine months ago, I moved over to this new job as a technical program manager that I sort of helped build from the ground up on a brand new team, um, working on what started as a passion project of mine in my first role. And now I, I basically wear lots of different hats in my current role. I'm sort of like the technical glue on the team. So it's been a really exciting time at AWS the whole time. So as women in technology, you're in the minority. We know the numbers are less than 25% of tech workers are women. How does your gender, how does being a woman play a part in your work negatively and positively? So I found, especially in, in technical roles where you're having technical conversations with both customers for me in my first role and also internal folks, I found myself on lots of calls really early on with all men, all people who have been in the tech industry for 10, 20 years, 
And I'm there, you know, nine months into my professional journey, trying to give them technical advice and technical design decisions. And that can be really intimidating. There's, there's oftentimes, I think, a lot of imposter syndrome that I felt. And I know a lot of other people feel uh, when you're talking about tech concepts, because everyone around you can, can seem like they know absolutely everything. And for me, realizing that no one knows everything, there's no possible way to know everything in tech and sort of having confidence in yourself and what you do. Um, and what you don't know when standing up for yourself when, you know, you don't know something and asking for advice, the best way to sort of combat that in those, those typically male dominated conversations where, where you have a lot of people that are, are talking really confidently about all of these, these concepts. Yes, definitely. I've also had the experience one time of meeting, you know, a new person at a different tech company and them immediately assuming that I'm non-technical just in that interaction and saying like, oh, you know, what did you study at school business versus I did graduate with a computer science degree that I'm very proud of. So it's been an interesting journey of constantly thinking back on myself. Well, you know, is someone making this assumption about me because I am a woman or because of something I said? And that all plays a role, I think, when leading meetings. Um, I had the opportunity this past half to lead a project in pair with my tech lead where there were five other engineers who were all men basically under me and my tech lead on this project and just like most of the meetings were you know the six of us in a room me being the only woman Um, and that's a very interesting dynamic and constantly doubting myself and using you know a different voice sometimes but On the flip side of that, too, to talk about like successes in this moment, I am so proud and excited to say that currently I'm on an infrastructure team with two male engineers and four female engineers. And I just never thought I'd be able to say this about, you know, any time in my career. Um, So I'm really, really excited to be on this team right now. That's incredible. Well, I want to hold that thought, too, for my next question, which is about your work cultures and how many women you are working at your companies. But Christine, do you have any comments on the role that being a woman has played in your career positively or negatively? Just to echo a lot of Emma's and Kara's like experiences, I definitely have experience, luckily like not really with when I'm dealing with my, my internal stakeholders. I've been fortunate in that I have like a lot of very supportive male peers and coworkers. I've been pretty lucky in that the teams I work with have been like, pretty balanced. But I think at my first job at Periscope, I was also on an external like facing role occasionally, where I was like advising like senior technical leaders on like how best to approach their data infrastructure. And oftentimes I had to like learn how to speak maybe in like a more measured and slower kind of lower tone, just so that people taking more seriously. Overall, like when I'm working internally in teams, I've been like pretty fortunate. So one of the questions that was asked by students about the workplace culture, how do you how do you know what a company's workplace culture is going to be like? How do you know that you're going to be working for a manager or your team is going to be supportive and accepting of you and who you are and your intelligence and your skills? How can you tell that from the interview? I think to a certain extent, you have to be in the role to, to assess some of those yourself, but you can do things to ask questions in advance to, to get a sense for it. So ask about actionable things that the team is doing to recruit more women or more underrepresented minorities into their teams. Um, ask what opportunities there are for growth. A lot of the opportunities for support as a woman 
come from asking questions around, you know, where can I go from this role? What, how are you going to help me learn? And look for really direct answers and not, you know, like fluffy, oh, we're working on it type answers. Look for direct solutions to those problems. And I think that's a, a good indicator of what a team is like. A lot of times in interviews, you'll be talking to a manager or, or the hiring team. Ask to talk to someone on the team. Um, you know, if you're considering an offer, ask them for, for their perspective, someone who's, who works for the same manager and have an honest conversation with them about the culture and, and what they think about it. Definitely. I'll add on here too. I think it's very different, especially starting out in your career, interviewing at bigger or mid-sized companies, because a lot of the bigger companies won't actually be able to tell you, oh, you're going to be on this team because you're interviewing, you know, six months to a year from your start date. Versus like if you're interviewing at a smaller company or a startup, you know, they'll be able to say, this is the team, you know, it's very small, like this is where you will be. But then again, you know, that whole team could change if you're planning to join six months to a year from now. But I think that's so true that it really depends on which team you're on as to how you're going to feel at the company. That's something that was very important to me while interviewing and why I ultimately decided to come to Pinterest and stay at Pinterest is after I interned at Pinterest, I felt the atmosphere was very supportive and someplace I could grow in. We were able to have very difficult conversations in just our team. And even though I knew I wasn't necessarily going to be placed and wasn't placed on the exact team I interned on, I felt confident that I would be able to find an atmosphere like the team I had been on at Pinterest versus I was not able to really feel like I got that out of my interviews, even though I was asking a lot of these questions that Kira suggests too, which I think are great indicators too. Definitely building on top of that, I think something I like to do before just interviewing, and if I don't know anyone at the company, I will like just look at something probably like Glassdoor reviews, and I tend to read the negative reviews and give those like more weight than like the positive reviews. I think like they tend to be more illuminating, but also like take it with a grain of salt because just like Kira and Emma said, like your team actually makes like the most difference that culture is the culture that like is going to influence your working environment most more so than like the broader working culture especially like when you're kind of working remotely too nowadays i think it's your direct team that plays the most important role in determining the culture this past year you've all been remote how has covid impacted your ability to learn to grow to continue building relationships with your coworkers i think covid has been very difficult, like not to undermine that. For me personally, um, it's been a lot of overworking um, because we're just home all the time. And that has had various impacts on my own um, mental health. But I've also been able to find a few moments of silver lining opportunities in COVID to create a culture on my team that I wanted. So I was had the opportunity to mentor an intern this past summer, totally remote because of COVID and took it upon myself to create an onboarding plan and onboarding videos for not just my intern, but like two teams that I work with. So I was able to turn, you know, this moment of needing to have an infrastructure for remote onboarding into an opportunity for growth and leadership for myself on the team and show that I am a leader via this remote onboarding that I drove to completion as well as I've set up virtual bi-weekly happy hours that we've been running for more than six months now to try to create more of a team atmosphere in this completely remote work setting. 
which also I view as kind of an opportunity to show my leadership across not just my team, but across multiple teams. But it has been very difficult not to undermine that. Definitely, it's just been like a huge transition moment across the entire sort of like knowledge workforce and just learning how to work remote. I think in terms of maintaining team cultures, the thing that like you kind of realize that you miss the most, at least for me, is that just like those organic moments where you bump into someone in like the elevator or like in just like the hallway in between meetings, those conversations let you like learn a lot about like what the other person is doing. So you just like miss all these sort of like extra details because you don't have like those organic moments anymore. And so we have to be a lot more deliberate and sort of like planning those engagements. So whether it's like at the beginning or the end of like a Zoom meeting, you'll do like a, you know, a fun check-in question. My team, we like to do like bi-weekly game nights or just like an afternoon tea every month or so just to like catch up and have non-work conversations or just like work adjacent conversations because those have been like the most impacted by just the remote work environment. Yeah, that's a really good point. I would add to that, that also those organic moments of professional networking and meeting new people on other teams is hugely missing. And that can be so, so powerful when you're in a company and you, you bump into someone, you're like, hey, what do you do? And you learn about a whole other side of the company and that could really help you either in your career, maybe what you do day to day in so many ways that you, you, know, you don't even know. So something that I've done and I've you know, I think that, that anyone can do this both within their own company or, or when you're in school, reach out to, to other professionals is, you know, just email people and, and reach out You'd be really deliberate about setting up a one-on-one chat with people and call it an informational chat to learn more about what they do and, you know, what team they're on or any advice that they have on a particular project. It's a really good way to find new mentors, informal or formal too. It's kind of scary to put yourself out there and just email someone out of the blue and ask them for a conversation. Uh, but the good thing is with COVID to kind of turn that on on its head is that, you know, everyone's doing that regardless of you know where they are in the world. So just know that. And the worst that someone can say is no. So just putting yourself out there can get you into those conversations that we're missing out in person. But now you have the opportunity to just sort of more comfortably connect with anyone around the world on, you know, any different team or company. So you're at Pinterest, Amazon, and Dropbox, three of the leading tech companies in the world. What are the company's plans on returning back to work in person? Have they laid anything out to you, outlined it to you? Are they going to continue allowing people to work remotely? What, what's the word? We have basically a you know return to the office plan, but not every team necessarily is going to be returning to the office full time. There are some teams that have been approved for fully remote work. There are some teams that are going to try out doing a mixed remote and in-person settings. So maybe two days a week or three days a week, the team comes into the office and the other two or three, they work from home as well as other teams will be fully in the office. And it's dependent on who needs that in-person collaboration the most. Um, And all the leadership team has been working on trying to make the best decisions for folks. Kara, what's going on at Amazon? What are the plans? It's constantly evolving, right? Like everything, you probably everyone's heard that phrase, you know, a hundred times, right? But still working from home right now, I expect in a couple of months, you know, we'll start to be able to filter into the offices. But I think that we'll see a shift from assigned desks to what we call hot desking, where, you know, you don't have any assigned desks and everyone pops around to different desks depending on the day, which I'm looking forward to as an opportunity to meet new people, have more of those moments where you meet, you know, different teams. 
one thing that I'll say that's that's interesting as I've, I've role transitioned since the pandemic. So I've been working at home the whole time I've been on this new team and uh, it's an international team too. I think that one of the almost positive things about work from home with, with COVID and international company, but specifically on, on teams that have members, you know, all over the world is that it makes us more mindful of, of time zones and scheduling. And, and, you know, it's, it's hard when a group is partially in person and one person's virtual. Right. So I think that coming out of this will be a lot more um, aware of what that looks like to work internationally um, in a mindful way. Christine, what's the plan at Dropbox? Also constantly evolving as just like vaccine plans and just like local sort of policies change. Currently, the word is that we are going to be virtual first post pandemic, which is like a huge shift. Um, what that means is that we're not going to be completely remote. We're going to be mostly remote, but there will still be like what we're going to call studios, which are sort of like office hubs and a bunch of our key cities. And those are going to be like hubs where I think they're essentially imagining it like a studio or co-working space where like teams can get together for like things that need to kind of be in person, like huge strategic like brainstorming meetings or something. So it's been really interesting to see like how we can like kind of preserve the flexibility and freedom that like remote works enables while also kind of bringing back some of that like in-person organic interaction as well. Are you guys missing it? I mean, I'm just curious. I know there's, I'm sure you are to some extent, but how are you feeling about going back, returning to work in person versus working remotely? I think at first I was missing it a lot, but I think as it's become sort of like very normal now, I do like the extra time it affords, mostly like when you're not commuting, like that just like removes so much time. And like, I'm definitely a lot more focused because also there's just like a lot less like meetings to like walk to. But on the flip side, you do kind of miss those more or like organic social interactions. So it's like you have to be a lot more deliberate in like generating those. For me personally, I think working remotely not during a pandemic would be totally different than what we're doing right now. Like we have to recognize we are in a pandemic. If I could work remotely, but still, you know, in the evenings have dinner with my family and friends and have those sort of relationships in person, I think that would be a totally reasonable experience. But since I don't have any social interactions, I, I do miss going into the office to have even, you know, semi-social interactions with my coworkers. Yeah, completely agreed with that. I think the physical act of going into the office and moving my body in the morning and then signing off at night in the afternoon is, is really powerful. And being able to go and even do that a few times a week will, will be a huge shift back. Um, but I will probably need to be mindful of, you know, that it took a long time to transition to work from home. It's going to take a long time to, to get used to that again, too. And, you know, finding your what works for you productivity wise. Um, it's taken me a long time to figure out I need to go for a walk in the morning or I will feel really tired all day long. Right. Things like that. Well, you need to readjust your schedule depending on, on what those parameters are. And, and that's OK. Last week, we talked about what's called the broken rung. There was a McKinsey report this year about this phenomenon where women are not promoted to manager level at the same rate as men are. So for every 100 men who are promoted to manager level early on in their careers, 
only 85 women are promoted to the same level and the numbers are lower for women of color. Have you seen this happening around you? I know you're early on in your careers. And what are you doing to make sure you don't get stuck on this broken rung? I have noticed it as well. A lot of my teams do slightly skew more towards men. Like even though like they're fairly balanced, it's probably like a 60-40 percentage in terms of like male to female. So like in terms of just like people, there's just like a like higher likelihood that men will be promoted. But I think like the other side of that too, and speaking to like my female coworkers, it's just that the men tend to just like ask for like the promotions more and are just like less hesitant about it. And that's like something I've been trying to sort of like bake into sort of like my conversations with my managers, just like asking for it. I feel like as a woman, I've always felt a little bit more hesitant, like whether it's like imposter syndrome or just like, I don't know if it's like humble or like some approach. It's just like, there's not as much of like a unapologetic, I'm just gonna ask for it and I don't get it, it's like fine. It's just like a matter of like confidence and that's the main factor that I've noticed in my conversations. To build on that, because I also feel this lack of confidence in having these difficult career conversations and asking for things that I want. One thing that I have done recently is ask my tech lead, ask my other coworkers to also advocate for me to my manager as well as to my skip level manager. And that I think has worked really well. You know, if enough people are saying it and believe in me um, at a certain point, they can't say no to. If enough people also think that I deserve a promotion, they need to promote me or something is going to go wrong. Completely agreed with the the self-advocacy importance. I mean, also, you know, reflecting on what you, you what you really want. When we talk about being a manager versus an individual contributor, that's a really big career shift too. And then also, you know, getting promoted in your current role or role shifting. So I would say that that one of the most important things that we can do is to kind of continuously think about where you want to go with your career, think about what you like and what you don't like about what you're doing currently, and and then tell people that, like Christine said, right? The more people know about what you want to do and that the more that you ask for it, the more people will start to be your sponsors and your advocates in those conversations behind the scenes where you don't see it. I think I I am starting to see more of a shift of manager growth programs, at least at our company. Um, I have a few colleagues that I join with that are already female managers, which is awesome, Um, especially in the technical roles. I think we're starting to see more female managers bubble up, but it takes time and it takes a lot of self-advocacy. So we talk about mentors and sponsors and mentors are people who have guided you or are guiding you along the way, your managers, your you know, people in, at other companies who give you advice. Sponsors are people who really stand up for you and say when it's time for a promotion or a raise or like she deserves this. So who are your mentors and your sponsors and your biggest champions? For me personally, I have an informal mentor who has also stepped into the role of sponsor for me at certain points in my career too. So it's not as clear a role definition as I have one mentor, I have one sponsor, but he has mentored me in my career as well as technically, and then also spoken up for me and advocated for me to be, you know, a lead on the next big project, advocated for me to get my promotion. And so I feel like he has filled both roles there. I also have joined a mentor circle, which has been just amazing. 
at Pinterest. Um, and it's basically a group of women who are in all different parts of the company at all different role levels as well. Some are in senior individual contributor roles. Some of them are senior managers and some of them are just, you know, more my level of junior engineers as well. So it's been awesome to get their support and their advice and their different perspectives to being in different pieces of the company that I don't necessarily see or understand. Yeah, I agree on the the informal mentors piece. Sometimes finding that formal mentor-mentee relationship can be tough. Um, you know, even though we talk about how important mentorship is, you know, sometimes defining that relationship can be both intimidating and hard to find that commitment level. So I have a lot of informal mentors. I think that in different areas of my work and career and professional networking life, I have different people that I'll ask for different pieces of advice on. And you don't have maybe one person that answers all of your questions, but rather, you know, this person gives me guidance on, on this space of growth. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, reaching out to people that you want to learn more about their career or how they got to where they are is a really good place to start to build those relationships. And sponsorship is really helpful, too, when you're thinking about getting that promotion and moving to the next job. My current role that I'm in, I mentioned, started like the first headcount on the team. Um, I had to reach out to someone and, and I said to this person, you know, hey, I just want to reach out and tell you, you know, if, if we have an, an opportunity for a role to open up in this space, I would love to be considered. I think I have the right experience, I'm really passionate about the space. And, you know, it ended up working out because I put myself out there and had to sort of ask for that sponsorship and that um, advocacy. So it's really about speaking up for yourself and then also, you know, asking lots of people, lots of questions. Plus one to everything Emma and Kara said, to provide something a little different, I found that also like early in my career, peer mentors are really helpful. They might have graduated like a year or two before me and are in a similar role or just on another team at the same company. But they're sort of like that older sibling relationship where they can kind of guide you through like that first year struggle or just like that new grad struggle because like they were recently in those shoes as opposed to someone who's like a lot more years removed. So I think early career, it was really helpful for me to just have a lot of great peer mentors to sort of help me through like a lot of questions I had at that phase. Something that's more tactical advice is I think this might be different now because of remote work but like when we were in person we had like several days or weeks of onboarding when you're kind of just like learning to ramp usually during that time you have like some orientation sessions or you're just kind of like learning about the company and I find that to be a great time just to like reach out to everyone and just say, hey, I'm new here. I really want to learn about like what your team does, what department responsibilities are. So I would definitely capitalize on like that time when you just like first join the company. Use that like excuse of, hey, you are new at the company and you just really want to learn more. Those are like the two pieces of advice I would give. What is something you wish you had known or been told when you were just starting out? Yeah, I, I guess I would say, you know, I wish that someone had told me that confidence is is your own choice and that you know you have to be the one that that tells yourself you got this, you just gotta put yourself out there and go for it. And I think that what's really helped me in kind of realizing that and, and what's sort of propelled me in in these different career situations that I've been in is using that to take action when you see something that doesn't sit right with you or that that you feel you know motivated about and no one's stepping up for like be the one to to take that on and to to take that next step 
I think it's easy to be intimidated by people that have these really long, successful careers, but they don't get there by luck. You know, they get there by repeatedly putting themselves out there. So I think that my advice would be, you know, when you're working on a project, both for either school or work, um, you realize that there's a particular piece of something, whatever it is that no one's owning, you know, step up and, and take it on yourself, call it out, ask more questions about it. Um, there shouldn't be anything that you kind of consider not your job. And it's that accumulation of taking action on a lot of little moments that can really help you in the long term. So take those little moments every time they come and, and just go for it. For me, my piece of advice to myself would be to not discount the importance of storytelling, even though I am in a very technical position. This might seem like a play on my, you know, dual degrees here. I have a passion for creative writing too. But when I was first starting out my career, I didn't understand how important it was to be able to communicate the story or the journey of my project, the team's projects, to not just my own team or my manager, but also to an array of other people um, on the wider team, as well as communicating the story of why did I not get this thing done correctly or why did it break? You know, being able to advocate for my own journey so that other people can understand where I'm coming from and also understand and make decisions about different projects. If I'm able to clearly communicate the story of, you know, this, if we make this decision, um, this is what's going to happen. And if we make this other decision, you know, option two, these are all the impacts and cascading impacts that it could have. I just have found writing up these stories and clearly documenting things to be so beneficial throughout this early moment of my career. Echoing on top of that, in terms of documentation, I think it's just helpful to have like a weekly journal of sorts where you're kind of like documenting like things you've done for that week. Because like whenever it comes time to have like conversations where you're looking for a promotion or just like a raise, it's like helpful to have like all of your accomplishments and whatnot documented in one place. Because sometimes it's really easy to forget like what you did. Or at least like for me, I'm kind of forgetful. So like I'll be working on a big project and then I'm just moving on to like another project and another project. And so like when it comes time for a conversation, like months down the road, you kind of like forget what you actually accomplished. So just having like a documented log of that so that you can present it both to like yourself so you can like have a conversation with your manager as well was like really helpful makes a lot of sense well emma kira and christine thank you so so much for joining us today thank you for joining the lehigh at nasdaq center podcast the lehigh at nasdaq center is a collaboration between lehigh university and the nasdaq entrepreneurial center our mission is to educate, connect, and inspire the next generation of global entrepreneurial leaders. To learn more about us, go to nasdaq.lehigh.edu and follow us on Instagram. We are at Lehigh Nasdaq Center. If you appreciated the candid conversations about being an early career professional in tech, remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast content. Join me next week for a discussion with Ruth Farmer, Chief Evangelist at Computer Science for All and former Senior Policy Advisor for Tech Inclusion under President Obama. Ruth will share the importance of encouraging and inspiring the next generation of women to engage in the world of tech.